wasn't even up at worship team at 11, even though there's a countdown. Good morning, everybody. Guys, I'm going to be sad to not be up here. I like having a microphone. Well, I did the one. What's next, Dennis? What's, what's the next book? Ruth. Who has Ruth memorized for the next time? Ooh, okay. Next week. You have a whole week. Um, it's probably only like 10 verses at a time. Okay, so we're finishing out James 5, 13 through 20, as it says up on that wonderful screen. Okay. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone among you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Anyone who turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Abba, we come. And we want to be your people. We want to be people obsessed with Jesus. That see him and know him and talk like him and look like him and pray like him. So Jesus, we honor you here in this place. And I invite you to come and sit down on the throne that is MCC. Sit down and reign here. We thank you for the family that you have given us here in this place. And we thank you for James. We thank you for this book. We thank you for this passage. And I ask Holy Spirit that you will... Open our eyes to see the realities of the glory of Jesus in this text and to be like Jesus. So we give you this time and we honor you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. My name is Jamie Moore. I serve as associate pastor here. And I have the... Hi. And I... I have the privilege of finishing our James series. We've been walking through, I think this is the 10th, it's the 10th? Yeah, 10 sermons through James. It's been a challenging book and it's been um, life-giving and painful uh, for me personally um, as we've walked through 
and looked at what James has to say to us. Um, The sermon title this morning is A God-Shaped Praying Community. And that as James is finishing this text uh, and this letter, he has some things to say. Oftentimes letters will end with, I'm praying for this, I'm praying for this, I'm praying for this. And it's interesting, James actually turns that and says, this is what you need to be as a community. Last time I spoke on James, I said that James reminds me of a specific character, and uh, there he is, Yoda. Uh, James has that kind of mysterious, um, slightly strange, he was a half-brother of Jesus. I mean, this is a, this is a, a different dude. And um, he's the kind of guy who, throughout the book, this letter, is just giving um, axioms and proverbs and wisdom, boom, 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 just dropping them. And it's a little bit like Yoda. When you read James, it's a little bit like listening to Yoda, and Yoda is giving instructions. And it's like, if you do this, you'll live. If you don't do this, you'll see destruction. It's pretty black and white. And it got got me thinking about the man himself, James, and what that means for us as a church family. And I felt like the Lord was targeting for us to think about discipline and spiritual disciplines. James was called, through church history and church tradition, was called old camel knees. That's camel face, but camel knees uh, because he was always in prayer. This was a man of prayer. And it got to me to thinking, if he's calling us to be a man of prayer, we need to watch and think about the fact that James himself also started in one place and he developed over time. James was one who actually didn't even believe Jesus was the Messiah at one time. So he progressed. So I got to thinking about what would, what would this Yoda figure look like early on before he became Yoda? Let's see. <laughs> For those of you Star Wars nerds like me, that's someone affectionately called Baby Yoda. And yes, that's not technically Yoda in the canon. We know that. But um, he's lovingly referred to as Baby Yoda. But the, the point of all of this, other than I just wanted to put Baby Yoda on the screen, is the reality of discipline in our lives. That all of us are being shaped and molded by the things that we do and the disciplines and habits that we have. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those two verbs that are underlined there and italicized are passive verbs. That is to say, something is being done to us. Something is being done. So, and it's black and white. You and I are either being conformed or we're being transformed. There is no middle ground. You can't be like, I'm just not going to be conformed or transformed. It doesn't work that way. We are either being conformed into the pattern of this world or we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And James here is targeting the spiritual disciplines needed for transformation. The word conformed is the word for a mold or, or a, um, yeah, for a mold. Like something's being molded and shaped. I got a picture of something. One of my favorite Christmas presents from several years back. That is an ice mold. You pour water into the top there, freeze it, and 
check out the next picture. There's, you can't quite tell what's there, but there's some engravings there. Pour water in there. There's engravings. You freeze it, and then you pull it apart, and this is what you get. That's the Death Star. I set that in a glass, pour my favorite drink, and I have a, I have a really, really good time. All the point of this Star Wars stuff is to help us understand our lives are like water and we are being formed by the things that we do. Make no mistake. You are being formed by your habits, your behaviors, and your disciplines. That is, life becomes the structures that we put around ourselves. It forms us. And so James is going after the spiritual disciplines needed for a community to be a God-shaped community. I've got a book recommendation. I'm going to move through this quickly. If you're interested in this concept, I highly recommend this book. You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit, James K.A. Smith. Really, really helpful book uh, with regard to habits and structures and disciplines. Okay, big idea of the text is this. Our whole life, physical and spiritual, should be oriented Godward through the disciplines of prayer, confession, forgiveness, healing, the scriptures, and community. What God is saying to us in the text for MCC, our whole life, physical and spiritual, should be oriented Godward through the disciplines of prayer, confession, forgiveness, healing, the scriptures, and community. Four parts to the text, and we're going to go after it. First part, the life rhythm of prayer, it's verse 13. Two, a healing community of prayer, verses 14 to the first half of 16. The supernatural power of prayer, latter half of 16 to 18. And then a prayerful shepherding community, 19 to 20. Let's go. James 5, verse 13. The life rhythm of prayer. James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So James is describing a church family in which we have rhythms as individuals and as a church, that there are natural life rhythms. And it goes like this. If you're having a hard time, pray. If you're having a great time, you're encouraged and joyful, then sing. But there's a rhythm. So you're breathing in something and you are breathing out a response to God in all things of life. So if I'm receiving suffering, I'm breathing in suffering, and I'm exhaling prayer to God. And if I'm breathing in something joyful and, and, and great and encouraging, I am exhaling praise. Yes, sir. And it's that rhythm of in and out, that rhythm of breathing in and then responding to God that James is saying is critical for our lives because that is the shaping nature of prayer in our life. Our whole life should be oriented to God in all circumstances, good or bad. Good or bad. And our culture is fighting against this. Our culture is fighting against this. Our culture says, no, 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 don't go to God. Go to something else. I'm calling it the binge culture. We are either being shaped by a prayer culture, Godward, or the binge culture of the world. The only thing you can binge on without destroying yourself is God. 
We're about to talk about confession here in a sec, so let me just share something from the last 10 days. I found myself, this is my phone, by the way, I found myself looking at my phone, and I heard the Lord clearly say, why are you self-soothing through your phone? Why is it that when you're hurting, you go here instead of to me, opposite? And he opened my eyes to the fact that technology is good. It's not immoral in and of itself, but it can be an idol for me. And I think it can be an idol for many of us. Listen, you and I are in great danger of being shaped by this more so than Abba himself. Ask the question, when you're hurting or when you're stressed or when you're anxious, where do you go first? Where where does your heart go? Where, where, Where do you turn to? What do you try to get first? And whatever that thing is, that's God to you. So I'm breathing in suffering and then I'm looking to Facebook to satisfy Or I bring in stress with family. Or there's disagreement between Jess and I. And then instead of exhaling to God, I exhale to something that's sinful. Or something that's amoral. But it becomes an idol in my heart. Because I'm trying to satisfy myself with something else other than the Father. That's this rhythm. And the Father is calling MCC individually and as a church to be the kind of people that have a rhythm. Suffering, we really don't like it, but we're going to the Father. I don't mean we don't like the Father. We don't like the suffering. I'm suffering, and then I go to the Father. Things are good, and then I'm going to sing. But I have these rhythms in my life. So this life rhythm, we're being shaped by where we go when we're in good times or bad times. We're being shaped. Second, a healing community of prayer found in verses 14 to 16. What I want to say right on the outset, what I'm about to read is normal church. This isn't especially gifted church. It's not super uh, uh, anointed church. This is Normal church. A normal church family functions this way. Here's the text. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So James describes a normal family of faith is a healing community and a healing community of prayer. And there's two specific ways that he describes this community. First, there are specific requests made to the elders of the church. You see it in 14 and 15. If anyone's sick, let him call the elders of the church. Elder is both in Jewish and Christian contexts. Elders are those who have responsibility and authority to care and shepherd the people in the family of faith. Okay? 
So there's a specific request to elders. It says, if it is any among you sick, let him call for the elders. Call, that verb means to summon or to request to a specific task. And it's very visual, these verbs. It says, let them pray over him. You see that verb, that prepositional verb thing? Over him. It's visual. It's almost like someone is laying down on a bed and the elders gather around this person and pray over them. You see what I'm saying? It's very visual. And then later in the passage, it says, the Lord will raise him up. Another visual word. It's a resurrection term, uh, resurrection verb of sitting up. So it's almost like you can see it in the text. Someone's laying down on a bed. Elders come and pray over, anointing with oil. And it says, and the Lord will raise him up. That person will sit up. So this is describing a community, so we're all clear, where it's a regular practice for the family to invite elders to their house, to the hospital, if they're unable to get to an event, to call them to come, anoint with oil, and pray, and to receive healing. It's interesting. It says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There is, interestingly, some sort of component of both spiritual healing and physical healing at play. But then it's not just reserved for elders. Look what it says in verse 16. Therefore, because of this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So James says, look, the elders can be requested for a specific task. But by the way, everybody in the family can go ahead and confess with one another and pray and see healing. Do you see it in the text? It's both specific prayer and general prayer in the family. So everybody gets to play and pray. That's fun. I didn't write that down. That's awesome. Everyone gets to play. That's so encouraging to me. Everyone gets to pray. And here's the deal. That means every single person has the opportunity to see another person healed by their own hands whenever the church gathers. This is normal church. Are y'all, y'all here? Y'all follow me? This is normal church. Let me just, let me just take a side step. Let's talk about confession for a second. It's in the text, isn't it? Confession runs counter to our culture. Again, another way of shaping. We need to be shaped as a people of confession instead of our culture. Our culture is an image culture. We're all about image, all about being seen as something better than we are. So the statement here is we are either being shaped by a confession culture of honesty and authenticity, or we are being shaped by the image culture of perfection and masking our true selves. You and I are either being shaped by authenticity and confession or by, I'm okay, everything's okay, everything's okay, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yay! Right? Right? We laugh because it's true. It's true. How can I make it look like I've got it all together because we're in an image culture? How can I make it look like I'm doing great? Instead of a culture that says, you know what? I'm actually not doing great, and I need some people in my life that can hold me accountable. And yeah, I get it. Because we're in this culture, we're swimming in this water, I get it. Some of y'all is like getting real nervous. Like, we're going to confess right now? What? I was not emotionally prepared for this. 
Instagram. Okay. But we're swimming in that water. But Jesus is stronger than that water. And he calls us to be a community of authenticity and vulnerability. And that comes through confession. Again, you're either going to be shaped by an image culture or a confession culture. That is confession to God, yes. But there's some things where I confess to God and I say, God, I did that thing I said I would never do again. I'm sorry. And it's true. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's true and it's great. But sometimes there is something in that confession that I'm not getting breakthrough over this sin in my life. You know what I need? Accountability. I need somebody to go to and say, listen, I've confessed this to the Lord. I've asked for forgiveness. I've received forgiveness, but I am in a cycle right now. I need a brother or a sister to walk with me. That's what a a confession culture looks like. I'm not confessing because I think it's earning me something in salvation. Jesus has given us salvation. But to get out of a cycle of image bearing, I need to be able to confess and hold be held accountable by someone else. Further, a confession culture, not just the accountability piece, we need to be able to, I know it's awkward, but we need to be able to walk up to somebody, look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry. I did that thing. You know I did it. I know I did it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? MCC needs to smell like that. Y'all hear me? We need to smell like authenticity. Like when you walk around, it's not like, how you doing? I'm blessed. Mm, mm, and everyone knows you're not. I'm doing great, Jamie. No, you're not. And that's not a prophetic gift. I can tell. I know. I'm not, I, the Lord didn't just tell me. I know. That kind of God-shaped, confession-shaped community is what we're called to. Okay, back to the healing piece. The early church, this is important. The early church did not, see divine, did not see divine miraculous healing as an unexpected event every once in a while, but a regular, regular ministry of the church family every time they gather. It's not like, whoa, remember 2015 when that one thing happened? Nope. How about last night at small group? And then tonight at small group. And then Sunday morning, first service. By the way, there were at least there were at least three that I know of that were healed in the first service this morning. We had nine healings last week. Because this is normal. It's normal. It's not a charismatic thing, it's a biblical thing. Oh, Lord. Maybe, just maybe, the young people that we are hemorrhaging from the church, maybe, just maybe, they would stay in the church if they saw that there's a kingdom of power and not just talk only. You know, kids can smell when something's fake. 
And if you read from a word that's supernatural and you say you worship a God that's supernatural, but nothing supernatural ever happens, why would you stay? That's why you're going to go watch Marvel films because there's real superheroes on there. But guess what? The kingdom of God is a God of, is a kingdom of power. And we're talk, 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 talk. Let's do this study. Let's do that. But there's no power. No wonder people are leaving. But guess what? Cincinnati is being called to a city of power. I'm telling you that right now. This city, the the prayer canopy is coming. Pastors and churches are, you know, I've never seen so much unity. I've been in four or five different cities. I've never seen so much unity among the churches. I'm telling you right now, not only will MCC see breakouts and healings, but all believers in Cincinnati are going to see breakouts in healings. People are going to go, what's happening in Cincinnati? What's happening in Cincinnati? And it's not an MCC thing. It's a Jesus thing. You see, Jesus came to actually heal and set people free. But if we talk about Jesus, and it's only Bible studies and theoretical, what are we doing? Jesus doesn't save you theoretically. Some of you may be asking, Jamie, are you saying that everybody in this room can pray for someone who's sick and see them healed? Answer, yes, I am saying that. I'm not implying it, I'm saying it. Every single person in this room can see the power of God flow through them. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. The supernatural power of prayer. Look at the text. Verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. It's effective. You may say, well, I got you now, Jamie. I'm not a righteous person. Like, I got problems, man. That's for, the, that's for you seminary degree guys and like elders and staff. I'm not righteous. It's a disqualifying lie. That we're not righteous enough to pray. Guess what? You are not righteous enough to pray. That's why Jesus does it through you. It's not the, your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ through you. Man. Okay. If you think, okay, I can't pray for this person. I haven't read my Bible in two weeks. Hey, great. The righteousness of Christ is available for you. Let's go. Second disqualifying lie is associated with, I don't have enough faith. I, just, I don't have enough faith, Jamie. And you don't know, you don't know the emotional stuff I got. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. I doubt. I have fears and anxieties and depression. James answers the question because he knows everyone's asking the question. And look what he says in verse 17. He presents Elijah as proof. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with weaknesses like ours. He's similar to us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. He said, he's saying to us who think to ourselves, there's no way God would use me. I don't have enough faith. I have unbelief. I have depression. I have anxiety. I'm scared. I'm, I have self-pity. So did Elijah. You're in good company. That's the point of the text, right? 
Elijah is doing the woe is me. I'm the only one who serves you. I'm the only one. Yahweh's like, no, no, you're not. Get up. Let's go. You ever had a self-pity party? Then you can see the the sick healed. That's what the text says. It was a 15-year-old that Jess and I were uh, ministering to. This was several years ago. And she was experiencing demonization and some other things that were going on in her life. And she came on a Wednesday night, and she was set free of those things, and she gave her life to Jesus. And it was awesome, and it was amazing. The next Sunday, so she hasn't had any training. She hasn't been baptized. She hasn't had gone through a Bible study, no first steps, nothing. The first Sunday after this experience that she had on Wednesday, the first Sunday we have a luncheon. And uh, we're in the gym, whole family is doing potluck style. And this lady is walking and she's got, um, well, she just has a brace over her knee and she's walking to the bathroom. I looked at Jade. I said, Jade, come here. She said, what, what, what's going on? See this lady, we're going to pray for her. She's going to be healed. What? Yeah, come on. Well, I'm not doing that. Yes, you are. Come on. So we walk over there. I said, put your hand right there. Put it on her knee. I said, uh, tell the knee to be healed in Jesus' name. She goes, what? Yeah, just do it. Just do it. It's fine. Do it. She did it. I said, okay, will you check it? The lady goes, oh, it's totally healed. No more pain. And she, she moved it full range of motion. And Jade's looking at me like, what? I'm like, see, it's not about Jade. It's not about the Bible study she's been on or the baptism or anything. It's about the presence and power of God in someone who goes, okay, be healed. See, for 15 years, I served in churches and I never saw anyone supernaturally healed ever. I went to hospitals. I prayed for people, but something was going on in the way that I was thinking about this. And then I came across passages like this one and like the one from Jesus. This is John 14, 12 to 14. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is what was happening. The Bible expects this with regard to healing. It's clear in the text. Pray for them, they will be healed. The Bible expects this. My personal experience was right here. I had seen nothing. The pastor that pastored my church had seen nothing. Sunday school teachers had seen nothing. But here's the choice that I have. The Bible says this. I'm experiencing this. I have two choices. One, and this is what I did for 15 straight years. I went, you know what? The expectation of the Bible, we're going to bring it down to the level of my experience and come up with reasons why it doesn't matter. Instead of saying, the Bible says this, my experience is this. I'm being honest with myself. They do not match. But I'm going to persist until my experience matches the expectation of God's word. I'm not going to just say, well, I didn't see it, so it must not be true. I snapped. Literally, spiritually, I snapped. I was like, I will not do ministry anymore without seeing the supernatural power of God. I'm not going to do it. 
Because the Bible says, you know where I'm come from? Where I come from? In Texas. In those good old Baptist churches in Texas, we have a little saying, if the Bible says it, it's good enough for me. I'm running out of time, friends. <laughs> running out of time. I need, I need to multiply time like the manna. Yeah. A couple of, uh, couple of things that are big question marks. One, what happens when someone's not healed? Let's be honest, right? Like, I'm not going to come up here and play games with you. Um, Jess and I have prayed for at least 10 people, I would say, and seen their shoulder healed. At least 10. Um, Jess currently has a torn rotator cuff and will receive surgery to fix it unless the Lord fixes it. She and I have prayed over that shoulder 50 plus times. So how can you see 10 people healed supernaturally? And then there's this one. There's something that we need to, that we need to just wrestle with. Okay? And I'm, I'm, let's not get twisted. I'm not going to come up here and explain it to you because it is mystery. But this is the best way I understand it. Jesus came and brought a kingdom. So we have the kingdom of darkness. And we have the kingdom of Christ, of Jesus, God has come into this kingdom. There is a battle between these two kingdoms. At the cross and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God has overwhelmed the kingdom of darkness. Jesus says the kingdom is here now. But theologians struggle, and it's true because there's a paradox. At the same time, the kingdom of darkness is still functioning. There's still brokenness in the world. There's still sin in the world. Jesus said, the kingdom is here now, but there's still sin in the world, right? So the way theologians have done it is they've held in tension. The kingdom is already, but not yet. That there is a coming time where Jesus will come again, and he will completely obliterate all sin and rebellion and suffering, and we will receive new bodies. We will be completely restored. And so while we're here on this earth, when we pray for someone, even when I see someone miraculously healed and set free and it's miraculous and it's amazing, guess what? If Jesus doesn't return, they're getting sick again and dying because the kingdom is already, yes, but not yet. So when I'm praying for someone, I also pray in faith. I'm praying right now for the healing of this person. And in Christ, they will receive it. I don't know how much they're going to get now versus what they're getting then. Are y'all hearing me? And there is a sense in which we can see amazing things now. But unless Jesus returns, that person will get sick and die. It's a shadow and a sign of what's coming, which is perfect health. Perfect eyes to see Jesus. A heart that loves Jesus and never gets cold towards him ever. I am personally looking forward to that. I'm personally looking forward to a heart and a voice that does not tire in worshiping Jesus. Because here on this earth, I find myself cold and wandering from him. 
the kingdom is already, we can see people healed and set free. Yes, 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 yes. And it is not yet. And when someone is healed, it smells like there's a new kingdom coming. Like when someone's healed, I'm not trying to minimize healing for today, even by saying that. When someone's healed, it opens them up to this is what life is like with Jesus. And it's just a glimpse of what it's going to be like with him for eternity. So I don't know why we pray for some people and they're healed. We pray for other people and they're not healed. I don't know. But the enemy wins when we stop praying because we're discouraged about the ones that didn't get healed. The only way we lose is if we stop praying. Every prayer you pray, including the prayers we're about to pray, will be answered either now or then. That's enough talking. Let's pray. Band, if you'll come on up. Abba, we come before you. And I, I thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your power. Your power over sin and rebellion and death and sickness. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. You are the presence of the Father. You are the love of Abba poured into our hearts. And Father, we want to obey your word. We want to be people of the word. So church family, we're going to just take about one minute here. And we're going to spend a time of confession to the Lord. Some of you may need to confess patterns of habitual sin. Some may need to be unforgiveness. Other sins against someone in this room or outside this room. If you don't know, I'm not sure if I have anything to confess, then picture Jesus, ask him to tell you if you have anything to confess, and he will show you if there is something. We're just going to take a a moment here of silence to pray, to be to practice being a community of confession to the Lord. Father, hear our prayers.